0: You must search for what is truth you doubt me seek proof
1: what is truth and what is god the first duty is to the truth whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth then here is the proof you seek you don't really want an answer to that question Welcome to the AXPX Podcast, honest conversations about faith, doubt, disbelief, hope, and everything in between. I'm Sean DeRigger. Today we begin a series called Processing Belief Through Music, Now, this is a series I've been trying to gather interviews for for quite a while. I was going to do all of these interviews in one podcast episode, however... Everyone I talked to is so gracious with their time. This has turned into three episodes. So for the next few weeks, I'll be interviewing artists like David Bazan and Derek Webb. There's a couple more surprises I'm hoping to work in there. But today I'm talking to T.W. Walsh. I also would love to hear your stories. If you'd like to participate on the next couple episodes, please call 951-723-723 five five eight six and leave me a voicemail. The number is nine five one seven two three five five eight six. I'd like to know how music, whether you create it or you consume it, has helped you process your faith, your doubt, or your disbelief.
2: Sean you know, I think my relationship with music is really um, different. And I, I don't know if it's helped me as much as it really became a confusing thing. Uh, you know, a lot of the music that I listen to after having been in a band and you know, uh, you know, try to listen to Christian, you know, quote unquote, Christian music or whatever, I find myself uh, after, you know, sort of, as you say, deconstructing my faith, um, you know, wanting to go back to the music that I've listened to for years and years that was, you know, Christian in nature. um, Even some of the stuff that, like, leans more towards worship, you know, because I found such a connection to that music, in a way, uh, it kind of left me uh, I don't know I, I don't know if the best the best way to put it but it left me sort of confused about about you know what music I would listen to in general because you know the music that I had a connection to and the music that I listened to for so long uh, uh, now I felt like I was kind of singing and, and rehearsing uh, lines that
0: you know didn't
2: really line up with the things that I Thought or felt believed, you know. Though my faith has changed a great deal, I I still find myself going back to every now and then, you know, to worship music and really enjoying it and not really having a connection and the depth of connection that I have to it, but it's still moving me emotionally. Hey,
0: this is Brian from Seattle. I grew up in a Christian household, you know, evangelical, and most of my music was Christian music and oldies. Um, And although I listened to a lot of Christian music, it wasn't ever something that really spoke to me and I always felt isolated. The message in that music was always that everything was gonna be awesome as long as you believed enough or prayed enough or loved God enough. And things weren't always awesome for me. I struggled, feeling isolated because of it. And it wasn't until I was in my late teens, just after high school, that my opportunities for um, exposure grew, and I started listening to music that not only was it Christian, but it also had a message where it was okay to be critical. It was okay to question. And one of those artists was Peter the Lion. David Zahn really kind of changed things for me, and. Made me feel like I wasn't alone in feeling those things, and I wasn't isolated. That other people felt that way, and it was okay to express it, and that was really helpful. And that idea that it's okay to ask those questions really changed the way I looked at my faith. And um, the journey that I've been on has really changed because of that. And I think allowing that opportunity for exposure is something that I look forward to providing my kids as they grow up and hearing their questions and sharing the fact that I don't have any answers. It's it's a journey, and because music's important to me, having that message in the music um, has been something that's beneficial. In 2007, I fell in love with the
1: soft drugs. T.W. Walsh had come out of a three-year stint with Page of the Lion and started his own band, and his music had a cool, laid-back vibe. Very different than the melancholy of Page of the Lion i was hooked ever since around 2008 i was able to interview him for an old podcast of mine now because of his collaboration with bazan i figured he was the most famous person i had ever interviewed since then i've followed his music career with enthusiasm every new tw walsh album was embraced with open arms he's remastered the entire page of the lion discography exclusively for vinyl and digital re-release and he's always up for a good side project be on the lookout for Low Tom. Trust me. So as we begin this series, Processing Belief Through Music, I'm very excited to have T.W. Walsh kick this off with me today. His album Terrible Freedom is out right now, so grab it. It's a damn good album.
3: Your voice was soaked in desperation.
1: My voice was wet with you, and juice. Compared to this, this one with your last album, how did you approach this one as far as uh, musically, like recording? I know I because you were yeah. involved with uh, with headphones with David Bazan, so you had a lot of electronic elements in there. He's bringing a lot more electronic elements into his albums, and you've always had a kind of a blend of both.
3: Yeah, even before that, on my first record, um, which came out in 1999, like, um, <laughs>
1: <sighs> which is almost 20
3: years ago now, but. Um, you know, it had it, that record had drum machines on it, and it had keyboards. I don't think I had access to any actual synthesizers back then. But again, that's that, that's just like a logistical thing. Now, you know, in in order to kind of um, get access to that kind of technology back then, you actually had to buy hardware. You had to buy a hardware synthesizer. You had to know how to um, work with synthesis, and um, it was just really, you know, the people who had synthesizers in the '90s were, you know they were kind of more like engineers than anything else. Um, and so I just didn't have access to that stuff. I, you know, you could buy a, you could buy a drum machine for a couple hundred bucks. So that, and, um, you know, as a drummer, it was easy to program. So over time, you know, I've just used whatever was at my disposal to try to arrange songs. And, um, over time computers, um, kind of, took over the recording process and then software synthesizers and, you know, over time also like, I you know, you just have more resources. I was able to buy different hardware and, um, just experiment. So, you know, ultimately what I'm doing is just trying to use whatever's available to make cool sounding records.
1: Yeah, no, it was funny. I was actually thinking like songs of pain and leisure is your last album. But then I completely forgot. I was like last year you had an album fruitless research. So two years in a row, you're, a uh... But not records
3: yeah i mean in the past you know it's taken me it took like uh at least five years or something to really do each of the last two records mm-hmm. um you know it was probably three to five years between the soft drugs and pain and leisure yeah just a more like three and then it was five years between that and fruitless research and this last one uh, the one that I'm putting out now—it's just like a basically a year after F- Fruitless Research came out. So it's a lot. It happened a lot faster than than
1: the last couple. Yeah, and I—I I know you've thrown it out there on social media that this album, Terrible Freedom, like you felt like you put more of yourself into the album. Yeah, I
3: think I just removed more of the more of the obstacles. Or like more of the kind of conceptual framework of things. Um, I mean, I've always worked in more of an instinctual, kind of spontaneous way, but but often it's it's fun to or it's effective to kind of set up a system for yourself, or set up limitations, or some kind of framework to work within. And so then you try you you know you say okay on this record I want to emphasize like real drums and like bass guitar, and then you know guitar electric guitar will just kind of sit on top and not be a main rhythm rhythmic element. And that's kind of what I did on pain and leisure was kind of more of a drum and bass record. It was like real drums and bass were the, were the main instruments and, and, um, everything else was kind of bare and, you know, kind of peppered on top. And then with, um, fruitless research, the idea was that I would kind of make these demos and take the song as far as I could and then send it to Yuki and he would kind of finish it. And that was kind of the framework. With this record, I just decided to kind of just just make stuff and just do it when I had time and when I was inspired and use the tools at my disposal. And um, I got really far with that. Ultimately, there were a couple songs. There were like two songs that had real drums on it on them and um, had like uh, you know like rhythm guitar and stuff. And those felt so anachronistic with the other eight songs on the record that I, um, decided to retract those in the same style. But for the most part, you know, it was kind of just a natural process of doing whatever I wanted and, si- and kind of this, um, aesthetic kind of emerged of these, um, classic drum machine sounds and, um, synthesizers and then mm-hmm. kind of, um, lead guitar, <laughs> you know, on top of it. Um, and,
1: and it kind of came together naturally. I mean, you've always been able to work a little bit at your own pace and, and really collect these songs and, and you don't, uh, you don't tour, you just put out the records, right? Yeah. You know, like, uh,
3: there was a period of time where I was a a professional musician for a few years and that's when I was playing with Dave and Pedro the Lion and we did a lot of touring. And at that time I kind of, I didn't set aside my own songwriting, but I definitely, you know, made a conscious decision to focus on, you know, helping Dave realize his vision. And at the same time, that was also the way that I was making a living. So that made sense to focus on that. And we did a lot of touring during those days. On different tours, I I played drums, bass, guitar, keyboards, percussion. And um, I wrote a little during that time, and some of the material was used for our projects. Ultimately, like the... Dave's writing kind of slowed down a lot, and that's when I started doing more of the soft drug stuff when I was still living out in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, during the Pedro the Lion days, it didn't make sense for us to tour. Like Dave was pretty much involved in everything I was doing whether when it wasn't Pedro the Lion, but it didn't really make sense for us to tour on my stuff because, you know, it'd be kind of starting from scratch, like economically um, mm-hmm. with that I had two kids at the time, Dave was fixing to start having kids. So, um, you know, Dave's audience has always been way bigger than mine and so at that time it it made sense to focus on that. When Pedro the Lion ended, um I kind of didn't really have an infrastructure for, you know, having a having a band, having my own musical career, you know, like I had um, up before Pedro the lion, like I hadn't had a lot of success with my solo stuff after Pedro the lion, you know, I had a lot of personal responsibilities, financial responsibilities, and there was really no way that I could support a family on, on like, uh, on my songwriting. So, you know, I, I went back to work full time and, um, so that's what kind of keeps me from touring. And then pl- mm-hmm. I don't play out locally that much because it takes a lot of time and resources to build up a band and rehearse a band and have everyone learn their arrangements. And then to play, you know, once, once a month or once every couple months. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. And I was, I I did that on and off over the last 10 years, but it actually takes a lot of, um, energy and time away from, um, writing and recording and arranging music, which is the real creative work. And that's, if I have to do one or the other, if I have to, you know, <laughs> play one show a month to forty to hundred people or something, um, playing songs I've already written, or I get I can just make stuff up in my basement on the weekends when I want <laughs> to. Um, that that that's more compelling, and it and it kind of you know scratches my creative itch more. Um, I'd love yeah. to do I'd love to tour. I, I actually really do like touring. And um, traveling and, you know, playing music with my buddies, it's just, um, you know, the the music industry, the indie music industry has never really um, given me the indicators that, like, it would kind of um, ha- have a return on that investment, you know, that risk taking of, like, quitting my job or taking a three-month right. leave of absence or something. And no opportunities to open for a you know, a big touring act, um, like a lab- major label act or even, you know, whatever, a smaller band yeah. that n- none of that has ever materialized either. So there was, there's never been an opportunity for me to build an audience really in a live music format. Um, even though that would have, that would have been fun. Cause I loved touring when I was in Pedro the Lion and I saw it as a, as a, you know, a, you know, kind of an enjoyable lifestyle that I would hopefully be able to perpetuate into old age but um you know it just didn't
1: turn out that way i toured a little bit with uh, a few christian bands and but i was like more of a stage manager but that was that was a lot of fun to do when i was single and had no responsibilities and as soon as i met my wife i was like done with the road like almost immediately i was kind of like i'm gonna kind of hang out with this pretty girl (laughs) instead of being gone and then, of course, we got married, started a family, and, and, you know, all real world, real life stuff started. But, um, not, not saying that touring musicians is not a real life. It's, it's a harder life. It's a harder path. You know, a lot, a lot of my friends who still tour and do that, it's, you know, uh, some of them have put a strain on their marriage and their relationships. Some of them, they've worked it out. But yeah, it's definitely a harder road to follow if you're in that lifestyle.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard, but, um, I mean everything in life is hard (laughs) and you have to
1: just (laughs) Right, yeah.
3: You have to kind of um take care with your relationships and um you know, and balance relationships with career. Like I know a lot of professional musicians who are you know, able to make a good living, touring, whatever it is a hundred days a year and they're comfortable, they're on buses, they get showers that you know, Mm -hmm. like traveling in a grimy van with six dudes. (laughs) Until I'm 75, I probably would not have hung on for that. But as far as like, um, you know, touring, um, theaters, you know, in a in a bus, um, for until I was 60, I probably could have handled that. You know, yeah. yeah. And you do you just do it? You just you just manage your career in a way that it makes it that makes it work. But it requires a lot of luck along the way too.
1: Yeah. When you were doing. The stuff with uh for page of the lion you kind of got roped into because at the time they were very much in the christian circles and i know that the page of the lion stuff especially from achilles heel on was kind of testing the waters with that audience did you see from your vantage point like the 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 Christian fan base, uh, did you were you involved with that at all? Like, did you even think about it? What was at that time? Like, I guess, what was your personal faith in relation to what you guys were doing? Did it matter?
3: That's an interesting question. And actually, this came up like Dave came through um, town and played a show, and somebody was asking me about that time and like what my relationship to all that stuff was. And to be honest, um, I was kind of playing in the band before I even knew there was a Jesus angle to it. Which I know is probably hard to believe, but um, the way I came to Pedro the Lion was I read a review of um, one of the records and it was in Tape Op magazine. It's a magazine about like, you know, music recording, but from kind of an indie perspective, great magazine. This would have been around 98 or something, you know, around the time that I graduated college. I read a review of either It's Hard to Find a Friend or The Only Reason I Feer- Feel Secure, or maybe it was a review of both records, was like, wrapped into one in that magazine. And it sounded like a really interesting band. And, um, you know, back then, the only way—there was no Napster and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And the only way to hear a band was that that wasn't being played on the radio was to buy the record. So I bought the records, and I really fell in love with the records. And— um. Because I didn't come up in a culture like a Christian music culture, you know, I grew up kind of a secular Catholic. Um, and, um, I wasn't even aware that there was an, a Christian music industry. I had never heard of <laughs> Co- Cornerstone. Um, uh, you know, yeah. my, my relationship being from the Northeast to evangelical Christianity was basically, um, the 700 Club and, you know, okay, you know, like clicking through the stations, the, the 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 cable stations, and seeing preachers, um, like televangelists, basically. And I had no frame of reference for any kind of um, other flavor of Protestantism. There was, you know, a couple Protestant churches in the area, but um, I didn't really have any frame of reference for for that. Um, most of the people I knew were were Italian and Irish Catholics, or or um, they were Jewish. And so, when I was listening to Pedro the Lion, I, I was listening through it through kind of um just a secular Yankee lens, and it just sounded like music to me and then maybe any of the references that Dave was making um, in the context of his relationship with God or his faith you know probably sounded to me like um you know romantic love songs or you know um, lyrics about romantic love and so um, because I was so ignorant of the whole thing, I had gotten involved with Made in Mexico Records because I fell in love with these records. And I had been playing, basically be, been playing drums in bands. And I was a good drummer. And, you know, my the bands I was in, I was really invested in. Um, but on the side, um, I had also started recording my own songs. You know, at some point, you know, I had a bunch of friends who really loved the songs I was writing and weren't that into some of the the bands I was in. And they encouraged me to like try to do something with the songs I had written. So I reached out to Made in Mexico Records because that was the label that Pedro the Lion was on, this this band that I had like kind of fallen in love with. And they seemed like a really small label and they had a contact email address on their website. And so I reached out to James at Made in Mexico Records, and we kind of like formed a friendship after I sent him a CDR of of songs I had written. And over the, I don't know how long it was, but it was probably like ten months or something. Um, we kind of had this correspondence in email, and ultimately he was like, you know, I w- I want to put out your record. Let's do a record. And you know, I went out to Seattle with my wife, and we we met James, and that's um, where I I had met Dave before because. Um, he had Pedro the Lion came through town in Boston and M- James at made of Mexico um, you know kind of wanted Dave and Josh from the band who actually had been at Northeastern University at the same time I, I had been Josh golden who was playing bass on the band at the time but we didn't know each other James asked Dave and Josh to kind of check me out and make sure I wasn't a, a lunatic or whatever and so that I met Dave and Josh and every, you know we got along. And then, um, you know, they gave me the thumbs up and I went out, met James, and then he, he ended up putting out my record. And then um, I was working as a software engineer at that time and my record was going to come out. I was getting married right at that time. Dave asked if I wanted to go on tour with Pedro Lion, open, be an opening act so I could promote my record and then I could play bass um in Pedro the Lion on the tour. I got permission from my job to leave for six weeks. They gave me the time off and I went on the road with Pedro the Lion. And I got in the van and and by it by that time I had started to hear things or start to understand things about like James had come from a label um he had told me called Tooth and Nail.
1: Okay. Right. And
3: it just sounded like a heavy metal label or something. And um and so then I start I looked it up. I was like curious about it and um so I looked it up and I was like oh there's like a there's like a Christian angle to this. Like this is rock music and indie music that like is kind of religious and then I started listening back to Dave's songs and I was like oh wait a second. Like maybe he's not singing to a girl in this song. <laughs> and um I started to kind of put it together and I asked James about it. And I was like is there a Jesus thing to this? all this stuff and he's like well not with my label but we all come from this kind of scene in this culture of of christian music and he kind of explained it to me it's wild (laughs) the whole christian music industry Yeah, like (laughs) i mean just the description of it sounded funny to me in that like there were these stores that only sold like christian records and and christian books and i had never seen like the closest thing i had seen was a christian science bookstore which is kind of on (laughs) a different different um uh, plane. Um, but so I started hearing all this stuff. And then I was like, you know, you know, I've met Dave and I we've hung out and we've even played music together a little bit. You know, we, we did when I was in Seattle, but like, I really don't know what I'm getting myself into. Like, I really don't <laughs> know, like everything I've seen of this culture, like on TV or whatever, like kind of makes me uncomfortable. So we had been driving for maybe a day and I didn't bring anything up. It was me and Dave and, and Trey Manning and um, Adam Voice, Trey and Adam... Um, both work as booking agents at Billions Corporation. Um, we we're getting lunch in an Arby's or something, and I remember sitting there at lunch and and like just saying to them, you know, like, we c- can we talk about something real quick? Because <laughs> um, I knew that they were aware that I did not come from this culture this background at all we had never talked about it at all like what is this all about and maybe they had started having conversations about like bad christian music that they used to like or whatever so we we sat down and talked about it and said like i asked them i said you know i don't come from this background and i i don't know anything about it so i just want to make sure that everything's cool like you guys seem great to me like i i consider you my close friends already but i just want to make sure that like everything's on the up and up and you know is this a cool situation for everybody and everybody's like yeah man everything's great and don't worry about it like you know we have complicated relationships with all these different aspects of that industry that we came from and the background and the church like we have might have our own kind of ideas about where our faith is at right now but we're all just dudes playing in a band and enjoying ourselves and so from that point forward like i felt i felt comfortable and as time went on you know and I had never really been in the South, in the deep South or the Midwest or, or these places where there were kind of cultural things that were very different than what I grew up with in the, in the Northeast. So over time I got exposed to a lot of, you know, people, um, who were upset with Dave for the way he spoke or, you know, some of the content of his, of his songs. And, um, to me, on one level, it seemed comical that somebody could have such a, um violent reaction to somebody saying the word fuck but because i loved and respected the guys i was with and i knew that they had a an intimate relationship with this culture and this this was part of their identity that i tried to um keep an open mind and and be respectful of them mm-hmm. you know my 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 buddies and tried to kind of um figure out a way to navigate through it and so i saw a lot of weird stuff like we played at Purple Door Festival one time, and our opening act was a guy talking about abortion for 30 minutes. You know, a lot of strange stuff happened.
1: So you just kind of laid low um, with all that and didn't really get roped in specifically, which is good. You kind of uh, you just kind of went on the outskirts of all that. And um, did you explore any any faith yourself or did you just, just focus on the music and, and everything and kind of Keep that all to yourself.
3: Well, like I said, I, I mean, I grew up Catholic, but it was kind of a really casual thing. Or it was, Yeah. with Catholicism, there's an emphasis on ritual and um, there are these sacraments that you progress through and there is a religious education. It's like, you know, the equivalent of Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through the motions with all that stuff. And when I was young, I, I did have an idea of God and I identified with, with the... You know, the acceptance, the the unconditional love, all the safety, all of that, um, the forgiveness, I identified with all of that. But I did not have kind of a spiritual upbringing, so we went through the motions with, um, you know, when I was young, my mom taking us to church. My dad had, had gone to Catholic school, and he didn't really like to talk about, you know, his— his faith or his lack of faith. It just was like a kind of a non, it wasn't a top of topic of discussion with him and he did not go Mm -hmm. to church. My mom brought us to church, um, and kind of ushered us through all of the, um, the sacraments, you know, as you go through, um, until you get confirmed when you're 16, you know, at a certain point, my mom just stopped taking us. And it was like up, you know, as I reached, um, adolescence or whatever, it was kind of up to me to, to figure it out. And when I went to get confirmed, I actually talked to my mom. I said, you know, like, I'm not really sure how I feel about all this stuff. And, you know, I've always been somebody who takes, um, honesty, really seriously, honesty with myself and with, you know, Mm -hmm. my family and others. So it didn't feel like the right thing to do for me to get confirmed. But, you know, my mom convinced me to go through with it, um, because, you know, everyone he- around here is Catholic, and she knew that I would probably <laughs> right. fall in love with a Catholic girl who wanted to get married in the church. And if you're not confirmed, you literally can't get married in a in a Catholic yeah. church. So, um, I went ahead and did it. Um, and so, but from there, you know, I was interested in music and punk rock, and I had a lot of things going on. And it, you know, because I hadn't like spirituality hadn't been really fostered in me in a meaningful way. I didn't really it didn't really stick. When I met Dave and um, Trey and Adam and like um, they talked about you know they talked about mostly their history within the church and stuff and so uh, but also there was the- there were kind of theological discussions and and stuff like that so at a certain point I started to get kind of interested reinterested in it in the context of like um, the the actual theology aspect mm-hmm. and the philosophy of it. I read some like C.S. Lewis and stuff like that. Um, and, um, you know, some of the history of um, the Protestant church and like trying to figure out what the Reformation was all about. And, you know, what I started trying to contextualize all my repeated exposure to all of this information, like through uh, my friends who had come from, you know, Protestantism, and it was a very different upbringing and a a different approach and so there were some aspects of that that's that appealed to me not the form but the but the not the um the religion but the spiritual aspects and the faith aspects but it didn't it didn't really stick um and that was around the same time that dave was kind of really struggling with falling out of um his own faith and so Mm -hmm. it was it was it just you know it wasn't meant to be For me, as far as like kind of um, really identifying with um, that form of spirituality, ultimately.
0: Leaving the lights on, keeping her back beneath the bed, killing your question,
3: changing the tired
1: So what inspires you like when you sit down to write like on these past few records? um, You know, I know this this last one, you've the two singles you've released, especially I think uh, my generation, like it sounds like there's some politically charged things like what are the things that really drive you to need to go down to the basement or or, or wherever you record and just, you know, hash something out or do you work through personal issues through your music to use it as a sort of therapy or is it more just like, how do you I guess how do you approach music personally
3: that's a good question uh, I don't use music creating music as a form of therapy I do a lot of personal mm-hmm. development and okay. kind of like um, contemplation I you know I have a meditation practice so I'm like I'm doing kind of um, kind of spiritual practice um, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't say songwriting is necessarily um, central to the practice. It's more of like a byproduct. Um, okay. And, okay. And so making songs is just what I've done for the last t- 30, 30 years almost. Like I, st- I started yeah. writing, I you know, I was primarily a drummer, but I got a guitar probably when I was 13 or something. And... Um, you know, I really started writing songs when I was about 16, so whatever, 25, 26, 7 years. And so this is basically my – it's my hobby. It's it's my just um, way of expressing myself. Mm-hmm. And so whatever comes out um, co- content-wise is just a byproduct of wherever my subconscious is um, at, at that moment, you know. And it's really right. – I don't start – from a point of uh, like a conceptual, um, starting line. You know, I don't, I don't have an agenda when I sit down and write a song. I just kind of puke out, um, content and, and try to like make sense of it. And the way I see songwriting isn't really, you know, a lot of times people ask me what my songs mean. And, and it, it kind of frustrates me because I don't, I don't I I, I I say, do you mean what did the lyrics mean? Like a song is not a song is a is a is a holistic kind of event, right? Um it's this time traveling yeah. um kind of amorphous thing where um it's it's not meant to be picked apart, it's meant to be experienced. And so mm-hmm. um I guess that's I just I just make them um, instinctively and spontaneously. And um, but when I reflect on what the lyrics mean later, you know, I'd say that um, the on this record, what kind of came out was more, you know, a a sense of frustration with the. The direction that the global culture is going in and the the um, the culture of america is is headed and um you know these are all things that people have been warning us about for for generations and and hundreds of years um you know over dependence on technology and um this pornographic um kind of um obsession with entertainment and um and a lack of compassion and you know it's just paying lip service to to values that you that your actions don't bear out and um mm-hmm. so i think it's a it's more of a it's just what came out is kind of um just a reflection of where i see the world headed and it's kind of yeah i i don't mean it as a as necessarily a warning sign to anybody because to be honest, there's not a lot of people listening to me, but um, it's it's where my head is. it's not it's where my
1: head is at. All of us feel like that in in all the different areas around. We feel like there's not a lot of people listening to what we're saying, especially yeah. this last election, right? But um, that's very interesting, and it's that's what I'm trying to do with this episode is see where other how other people approach uh their music and their creation of of that music, because there's other artists that I know that um really like pine over the lyrics and the direction of the record and uh, what is this song saying and they go back and forth back and forth when whenever i mean i i've dabbled in songwriting i have a friend who's hopefully coming out in uh, the summer for him and i to write together he's more of a stream of consciousness writer where we work our best when like we're gonna record in june i think and we have no demos, no nothing. Like, we've always done our best to work together just sitting in a room with some, uh, with some, uh, whiskey and some beer and just yep, yep. putting down, putting things down, putting and recording them. And, and he just has like a poem book that he just kind of stream of consciousness just writes. And then we form that into a song. And we can look at back and go, Oh, that's what I was feeling back then. And, and I feel like that kind of songwriting that there's a value to it because you can kind of look back and get back into like the headspace you were in when you wrote that and not really realize. And you kind of looking back, go, Oh, that's what was happening in the culture. That's what I was going through or thinking about. And it's, I, that, that form of songwriting is very interesting and very valuable.
3: Um, I think I've always been that way in that, um, I, it's almost like a trance like state, Mm -hmm. you know, the create creative state for me. And, um, I think that when I met Dave, um, I was so blown away by his ability to work from concept um, down, right? So, like, he started, um, you know, when I met him, he was working on um, Winners Never Quit. He was working on that record, and he was, you know— We'd send. We had to spend a lot of time driving. So he was telling me about the 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 you know this morality tale and the the um the concept behind every song. And he always sequences records in a in a in a um lyrical kind of um narrative. Mm-hmm. So uh, he takes the lyric. Well, I don't know if he still does this, to be honest. But he would take the lyric. The lyric was the um was the most important aspect of the sequence of the, the tracks. And, um, so he was writing this story and he was filling in the, the, the holes with the lyrics and writing these songs around the story. And I was so blown away by that. Like, it seemed like another level, you know, and a, and a style of songwriting I really aspired to. And I actually lost a few years there of, of songwriting, but trying to kind of bring that, um, approach into my own work. And, um, It just failed miserably. (laughs) So ultimately I returned to like just kind of um, writing in the stream of consciousness kind of subconscious way and then applying the craft aspects um, to maybe more of the music where I would, you know, work on chord substitutions and like do kind of, you know, work on syncopated rhythms and stuff. But lyrically, especially just like still just kind of working in this kind of um, free poetry kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And then ultimately, I—that's I, th- one of the one of the things I feel good about was that I, I think Dave writes from a more subconscious place now, and I think his work is really rich because of it. And um, you know, I like to think that maybe in the way that's a little bit, uh, like a lot of what he did rubbed off on me, maybe just a teeny bit of what I did rubbed off on
1: on him. I think most artists would say, especially if they're spending a lot of time with each other, you do influence each other in, in some ways and maybe even more subconsciously. Who knows? But um, I'm definitely – when I'm around more artistic people, I feel like I get more creative and I kind of draw from that. So, Sure. Um,
3: yeah, and you start to think, well, it's a, it's around and then you start to think like I wonder what I could do. I've never really thought about working in this medium before and like, yeah.
1: trying to bring something yeah. to it. You've kind of operated in – you know not in the general touring mode or anything um and I know in the past i when I had you on like years ago um when I was first jumping into podcasting we i think digital music sales and everything were just were going, and there was kind of this big unknown about you know uh piracy and and everything. Well now we're in a model with this kind of subscription model like uh the iTunes music and Spotify. Then there's also, you know, digital album sales and now and vinyl sales like is it becoming more sustainable to your knowledge to musicians or is it still uh is this still the same struggle it's always been with trying to you put all this blood and sweat, you know, into these albums. You're putting yourself all out there into this music and then is there a return (laughs) you know, like what would the, like a young musician, you know, if you wanted to pursue music, like, do you still see it sustainable? Well, there are a lot of people like a lot of the, most of the people who kind
3: of have a successful career now, I wouldn't, I I would say they're interested in music, but that's not central to what they do. Right. I mean, a lot of people who make money on music, they're, yeah, I don't know. They're doing like ukulele covers of of pop songs on YouTube or um you know like it's 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 technically music <laughs> mm-hmm. like technically speaking but um it's it's not what I w- when I think of music it's it it's um it's it's not the same thing. And so yeah. Um I I think that there's a lot of potential for for doing Cool shit with um what's going on in the world today. I I love YouTube. I think it's an amazing um kind of um a, a platform for expression and for learning. I mean, like YouTube is an incredible education tool, and I think that yeah. that's like um you know really amazing. Um, I think that um for for young for young creative people, I think that the the thing that um video as a as a medium has going for it is that it engages your more senses, right? So you have to actually basically pay give give a video or a film your your full attention. You can't really do anything else while you're watching a, a video, mm-hmm. right? Um so I think video is the most promising medium moving forward where you're you're engaging all of the person's senses. You have their entire attention. Um, as far as making money um, that's how people make money: product placements, um, advertisements, and um, and um, sponsorships in video. Yeah. Um, I think that like people like Casey Neistat, who's making a really good living, um, as a you know somebody who's creating content. That's what he does. He he like forms alliances with large corporations who want to trade on his um, um, audience. Um, and so you, I think that you would have to have like a kind of a a fundamentally different worldview from the one that I grew up with, which is like, you know, I create something using my heart and soul and it connects with you as a listener and you find it valuable um, to the point where you um, want to share some of your resources with me um, Mm -hmm. at direct connection with people. Those direct connections are still happening, but they're being like financially subsidized by large corporations who want to, um, kind of exploit that relationship that you have with the audience. Um, So I don't really know what I would give, what advice I would give to someone who's, who's
1: young. I mean, um, I'd always say like, if if your heart's into it, just, just pursue the hell out of it, you know, whether or not it's going to make money, we can figure that out later. But
3: I agree with you as far as like be, being an artist for me, I'll I, like what my life looks like is that, you know, I, I leave for work at seven a.m. Mm-hmm. and I get home at six p.m. I'm gone, so I'm gone eleven hours. I have three children of my own. I have another child um, living with us as a foreign exchange student, my cousin um, who's from Scandinavia. Oh, okay. And um, I have a mastering business on the side where I master a hundred records a a, a year, hundred projects a year. And so for me, I I simply don't have time to do the creative work that. I would want to do, and because I'm prioritizing my life in a way that I feel like is, you know, ethical, and I love my family, and I want to, you know, experience the world um, with with my family, and so because of the the economics of, but at the same time, I have an irrepressible compulsion um, to create music, mm-hmm. and um, but I always, I have to constantly reevaluate you know, how I'm going to go about doing that. And, um, and I have to cut a lot of corners and create um, subpar work because I'm only able to make, make this music an hour at a time, 45 minutes at a time. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically happy with the the last couple records I've made, but if I had any resources and any time, um, to to make those records, they would be infinitely better. And so I'm doing compromised work because I don't have the time or the resources to do that. And and that is a direct side effect of the way that the industry works. Um, at the same time, my music might just be too weird for a broad audience. But um, to be honest, like I've gotten a lot of feedback from 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 people that um would con contradict that statement so i don't really know where where i fit into things um but you know
1: (laughs) well you sound like a true artist that's for sure like uh, yeah
3: even people friends of mine who have historically made been able to make a living like bazan you know he's he's struggling in the current kind of um right state of the music industry um and he hasn't really changed anything that he's he's done um he maybe hasn't like changed with the times you know as much as he should have i don't know i wouldn't know how to ju- judge that necessarily but you know he's he's doing you know better work than he's ever done and um you know he's he's not you know he's not thriving um in mm-hmm. in that system you know um so um i think that for People in who are coming up and trying to do art now, like work work in video. Um, even if you're a musician, I would say like somehow fi- figure out a way to work in video, leverage YouTube as a as a platform because people yeah. are more engaged in that. Um, music is just a commodity now. It's something that again, it's like the 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 technology companies like Apple, the hardware companies are benefiting from people's love of music. Um, the music media um, corporations like um, Condé Nast and whoever owns all these friggin' websites, um, they're mm-hmm. benefiting from, you know, leveraging the content that musicians are creating. But the musicians are not, are not making um, a living wage from it. Um, yeah. Except for in um, extreme, you know, extreme kind of luck cases. And I, and I'm sure that those people are doing a lot worse um financially than most would think, you know.
1: Terrible Freedom, it's a great album man. I I really love it. I've I've loved all of the the albums you've released and this is just another great album from TW Walsh. Cool. Thank you so much for for chatting with me. This went longer than I anticipated, but uh but I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. Well until next time, sir. Okay, take it easy, man.
2: I won't wash a dirty button down shirt. Apologize
3: to the woman I hurt. Turn around when I'm
0: in the dangerous part of town.
1: Like I stated at the beginning of the podcast, you can grab TW Walsh's album. Terrible freedom Over at his Bandcamp, Including some vinyl It is twwalsh.bandcamp.com So check that out there You can also grab all of his other albums Find out more of what T.W. Walsh does Over at his website twwalsh.com So in the next couple of weeks I'll have more interviews Following this series Processing belief through music Hope you guys dug this one. Some more great interviews coming up for you within the next few weeks. I'm also going to be starting a bonus podcast for all of you who have signed up with Patreon and become a patron saint. Go to patreon.com slash theaxpx. It's only a dollar a month, but I'm going to be starting... A little bonus podcast called The AXPX Diaries. And I'm hoping this will be a short, weekly little podcast. And it's basically uh, shit going on in my head. I'm spitting out (laughs) to podcast form for all of you. Should be fun. You can find all of our social media links over at theaxpx.com. Music for this episode by of course TW Walsh, also Slow Dancing Society, and the Candle Park Stars. Find all of the music over at the AXPX.com slash music. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.